It just goes to show you that if you hate a black president enough, and if the Koch brothers put money behind you, and if your country is deeply racist, you can accomplish anything. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. American dream, baby. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. On Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, and thanks, of course, to all our affiliates for carrying our fine program each and every day. Uh, Some uh, breaking news as we go to air here. Ex-New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani has joined the legal team defending President Donald Trump in the uh, Russia probe. Desi Doyen, is that good news for Donald Trump or is that a very bad sign for him? <laughs> well, as you know, I laughed when I first saw you that. You did? Why? <laughs> well, why because you, why I did think, you laugh? I think it's a bad sign yeah. for Donald Trump because it clearly shows that he is unable to actually hire some of the best lawyers that could have been available <laughs> had they wanted to be. And I'm not saying that Rudy Giuliani is You're saying he's a, a bad attorney, aren't you? I don't you? know if he's a bad yeah. attorney. He has, uh, in the past, he was doing pretty well um, as the U.S. Attorney he, for New York, a long, yeah. long time ago, but since then he's kind of gone off the deep former, end. Was it U.S. Attorney or for, I think it was former district attorney was in he? Manhattan, okay. yeah, before well, he became mayor. Uh, he told the Washington Post on Thursday that he finalized the decision in recent days. He wants to help the president, quote, negotiate an end to the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, which Trump has described as a hoax. He says, I'm doing it because I hope we can negotiate an end to this for the good of the country and because I have high regard for the president and for Bob Mueller, he throws Mm. in there. That news comes, of course, as Donald Trump has been struggling to find any attorney who is now willing to join his legal team. Yep. After uh, John Dowd, uh, his his previous attorney who was heading up his uh, response to the probe, uh, left last month. Some on the Twitters today as we go to air are noting that Giuliani is more likely to become a witness should there ever actually be a trial in this matter. 
rather than the president's lawyer, given uh, Giuliani's involvement in the uh, Trump campaign itself. So anyway, there's some breaking news. Uh, Des, you've got a uh, Green News report coming up in a little bit today. Yes. Presuming we get to it. (laughs) See what else breaks. Uh, But uh, I wanted to play this. Uh, This is Congressman... Jim Bridenstine from Oklahoma on the floor of the House back in uh, back in 2013. Let's play this and then I want to give you a chance to respond to it and then we'll explain why we're playing it. Mr. Speaker, global temperatures stopped rising 10 years ago. Global temperature changes when they exist correlate with sun output and ocean cycles. During the medieval warm period from 800 to 1300 AD, long before cars, power plants, or the Industrial Revolution, temperatures were warmer than today. During the Little Ice Age from 1300 to 1900 AD, temperatures were cooler. Neither of these periods were caused by any human activity. Even climate change alarmists admit that the number of hurricanes hitting the U.S. and the number of tornado touchdowns have been on a slow decline for over a hundred years. But here's what we absolutely know. We know that Oklahoma will have tornadoes when the cold jet stream meets the warm Gulf air. And we also know that this president spends 30 times as much money on global warming research as he does on weather forecasting and warning. For this gross misallocation, the people of Oklahoma are ready to accept the president's apology, and I intend to submit legislation to fix this. <laughs> that was Republican Jim Bridenstine uh, in, back in two th- 2013 demanding... Uh, an apology from Barack Obama <laughs> yeah. uh, for these things. Now, uh, it, he was uh, talked about the uh, cold Gulf Stream causing tornadoes in Oklahoma. You will have in our Green News report, uh, as a matter of fact, some news on that Gulf Stream. Yes. But as one of the climate change alarmists <laughs> that Bridenstein was referring to, I wanted to let you respond to uh, th- those points. Uh, they're pretty, from t- back from 2013 on the floor of the House, uh, pretty standard pro forma climate denialist uh, b- remarks. Propaganda. I, uh, propaganda that you have responded to many times over. But very quickly, uh, let's hit a couple of them. Ten years ago, he announces, temperatures stopped rising. And of course, that's a lie. That's absolutely not true and has never been true. Global temperatures did not stop rising ten years ago. The, fast, the last five years have all been the hottest years on record and 17 of the last 18 years have all been the hottest years on record. Now that's according to uh, well, pretty much everyone, all of the meteorological uh, organizations around yes. the country, including here, uh, NOAA and NASA here Every in this country. Every single science yeah. organization around the world right. agrees with this data. Warmer. Uh, it was warmer during the medieval warming period <laughs> than it is now. Yeah, that's a favorite one of the uh, climate science denial people. Uh, the middle e- medieval warm period and the so-called Little Ice Age. Now, they only refer to conditions that were recorded in Europe at the time during the Middle Ages, and that, of course, Europe does not represent the entire Earth. So when Just they say we had a big news flash to James Bridenstine, Jim Bridenstine, that no, that doesn't count. So it was a small subset was, of temperatures that were even available at that time. Is that right? Yeah, it's what they call a regional temperature anomaly, and it was not recorded. That warmth and that ice, those those temperatures were not uh, correlated or recorded in data from other parts of the world during the same period. All right. Now the reason I wanted to bring that up, just not only because those points still come up. That was from 2013. 
Bridenstine back in 2013. Right. Those points are still being uh, made by these denialists who apparently haven't bothered you know, to look at any actual science. Well, they just look at what the Heritage Foundation tells them to yes, say. Yes, exactly. And the Heritage Foundation knows what they're doing is not supported by climate science, but they don't care. Okay, so with that said, uh, you know, it's pretty standard uh, denialism there. Uh, Des, in your Green News report, we often refer to um, data that comes from NASA. Right. Uh, to uh, discuss these, uh, these the rise in the heat and uh, a lot of stuff that has to do with global warming. Well, the reason I mention Bridenstine and play that clip from 2013 is because today, seven and a half months after being nominated to lead NASA, that guy, Congressman Jim Bridenstine, finally gets to start his new job. He was confirmed following a vote in the Senate today, ending the longest span of time, by the way, that NASA has operated without a permanent leader. And it comes with a vivid reminder, says the New York Times, that few posts in Washington are now spared from partisan conflict. They cast this this fight over Bridenstine leading NASA as a as a partisan thing to the New York Times. Because it is. Why? Because the vote was along party lines. It yeah. was Republicans only voting for Bridenstine. Correct. But they were not opposing him because he was a Republican, were they? Oh, I see what you mean. No, no. Was... Democrats and independents who voted against him, the 49, I mean, it was really just one vote, that split, that could have made him not the administrator right. of NASA. But yeah, the, the de in Democrats and independents voted against him because he has politicized NASA's research. He is a climate science denier and he has no scientific credentials. He has no background in science. He has no background in managing large organizations, especially ones with multi-billion dollar budgets and multiple projects that are stretch out for the next 50 years. He is the first non-scientist. He is the first elected politician to lead right. NASA. So, you know, this is why the Democrats and independents in the Senate were opposing him. Exactly. Because he has no qualifications for running a, a science and space agency. Well, he did run the planetarium in uh, apparently in Tulsa back from 2008 to, to 2010. So, and I have a feeling that's where uh, Donald Trump got the idea that, uh, hey, this guy, he ran the Air, it's the Air and Space Museum and Planetarium in Tulsa from 2008 to 2010. He was the executive director there before he ran for Congress. Right. So he ran the planetarium. Then he goes to Congress, gives that speech full of denialism about climate change. And now his reward, he gets to be in charge of NASA, one of the nations, one of the world's most important uh, organizations oh, when yeah. it comes to climate change data. Yeah, he was he was in that piece. He was attacking NASA's climate science research. NASA leads the world in climate science research. NASA is well, what they used to. <laughs> yeah, they used to. And and also just, you know, to hit on one other thing he said, yeah. you know, he complained that President Obama was allocating too much research money to climate science and not as much to weather forecasting. Hey, newsflash, a new NASA administrator, Bridenstine, global warming research is weather forecasting. We have to know what's going to happen. We have to have an idea of how to prepare for the extreme weather events 
months to come because clearly we're already not prepared for the ones we're getting hit with now. Just look at Puerto Rico and Hurricane Maria. Yeah, and that, well, that was, by the way, those those hurricanes, that string of hurricanes we saw over the past year, that comes in light of Bridenstine's earlier claim that everybody says we're getting fewer and fewer hurricanes. There's nothing to worry about. Right, and of course he's wrong. And, you know, I think the other reason that uh, that Trump preferred Bridenstine mm-hmm. and those who recommended him, he's from Oklahoma, which means he's kind of an acolyte of Senator James Inhofe, the extreme climate science denier. James Inhofe and Scott Pruitt. And Scott Pruitt, of also of Oklahoma. Yep. Also, he advocates for commercialization of space, for turning NASA's mm. uh, operations over to private companies. So, of course, you know, paid for with the taxpayer's dime. And that's not, uh, well, given what the, um, who is this, the uh, POGO, the uh, Project on Government Oversight, uh, they're an independent watchdog organization. This week they came out with uh, a, a charge that uh, one of the events that Bridenstine organized as an executive at that planetarium, that Air and Space Museum, uh, was an air show in 2010 featuring races by rocket-powered airplanes that were from a business that he had personally invested in. Yeah. Uh, and that would be considered self-dealing because this was a nonprofit uh, air and space museum uh, and it's self-dealing when a, a nonprofit official directs money from an organization uh, toward a commercial venture that the official has a stake in. And so he was already playing fast and loose with the money from the uh, from the planetarium. Now he's going to be the NASA administrator overseeing an agency with a 20 billion dollar budget and more than 18,000 employees. And he has no credentials for the job whatsoever. None whatsoever. Now, it should be noted that, you know, when he went through his Senate confirmation hearing, yeah. he did um, moderate his views um, on climate science denial. You know, he now says that he supports NASA's research into climate science and oh, the yeah. study of the home planet. And, you know, he believes that humans do have some contribution. So he's moved on from the stage of denial that says it's outright not happening to now he's moved on to, well, we may have something to do with it. And it's probably not going to be bad. We should definitely do nothing about it. Just enough non-denialism to get just the votes that he needed. One of the reasons yep. this uh, uh, position had stayed open for so many months, because uh, it didn't look like this guy was going to be able to pass at all. Uh, there was, uh, even though Republicans hold a 51-49 majority, uh, John McCain, Republican from Arizona, he's been away He's uh, for his cancer treatment. Marco Rubio, the other Florida senator, uh, who's who, a Republican. Who, over, you know, because Florida is where the Canaveral Space Center is, yeah. where we launch all of our, you know, NASA space projects. Right. He had expressed reservations about putting a politician in charge of NASA for the first time, by the way. First time. That we're seeing a, a politician in charge, as yeah, opposed to an administrator, a scientist, etc. That's a big deal. And uh, the, so the, <clears throat> the vote had been uh, something like 49-49. That was the best they could do. They ended up holding the vote open today for more than 45 minutes as they pressed and pressured Jeff Flake of Arizona, the outgoing Republican senator, as they pressed him to flip his vote. Uh, Rubio, 
uh, says he reluctantly changed his mind uh, once the acting uh, uh, NASA administrator announced that he would be leaving in April after serving for, I think, more than a year in yeah. the post. So Rubio came around and then it was up to uh, up to Flake and they were able to get him to flip his vote to yes and uh, Flake has not offered a detailed explanation as to why he did yeah, that. Yeah, there's no detailed explanation, but uh, WAPO, I mean, sorry, Washington Post right? did report that uh, Flake told them that uh, he didn't say much, but he did acknowledge that he was negotiating for something. That Flake was negotiating? Yes. And we don't know what it was that no, he was don't. going to get? Nope. Um, Swampy. I was get an extra uh, an extra cake at his farewell party <laughs> since he's leaving and since he claims to be against the swamp and uh, Donald Trump and yet continues vote after vote to vote in favor of pretty much anything that Donald uh, Trump wants. Yeah, that's courage for you. All of this underscores the importance of the Senate because the, as we talked about uh, on yesterday's program, Mitch McConnell said, you know, basically we are not passing any legislation this year. We are doing Nothing but uh, confirming the president's appointments to executive agencies and to courts and so forth. That's what they're doing. That's all they're doing pretty much now is going to vote uh, on approving Donald Trump's uh, people. So it's particularly disappointing then to see North, uh, North Dakota Democratic Senator Heidi Heidkamp become the first Democrat to announce that she will support Mike Pompeo's nomination to be Secretary of State. That's CIA Director Mike Pompeo, who has been uh, nominated to take the place of Rex Tillerson, who was fired a few weeks back. Heidkamp, uh, who is uh, up for re-election in a red, so-called red state that went for Donald Trump in 2016. She's up for re-election this November. And uh, her support now for Pompeo all but ensures Pompeo's confirmation if all Republicans other than Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, who has claimed he would not support Pompeo, not that I believe him, but he, he says uh, Rand, uh, Republican, uh, Kentucky Republican Rand Paul won't vote for him, but that's okay because with Heidi Heidkamp on, on board, that would be enough to confirm him. She said in a statement that Pompeo's uh, demonstrated during the nomination process and during our meeting in March that he's committed to empowering the diplomats at the State Department so they can do their jobs in advancing Americans' interests. She went on to say, if confirmed, I will hold Pompeo, uh, Mr. Pompeo accountable hmm. to make sure he advances our country's leadership in the world and supports our embassies including uh, by filling critical jobs that have been vacant now for a long time, like the U.S. ambassador to South Korea. She said we need a diplomatic solution in North Korea and we need to make sure that any discussions support the goals of the U.S. So at this point, if if the rest of the Republicans support Pompeo, he will squeak through on a full floor vote in in the Senate with Heitkamp's uh, support. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee, however, they are set to vote on Pompeo's nomination on Monday. And right now, with the opposition of two Democrats, including Senators uh, Tim Kaine and Gene Shaheen, as well as Republican Senator Rand Paul, who's also on that committee, uh, with three no votes from them, that means Pompeo's nomination will be on track to be sent to the full Senate without the approval of the Foreign Relations Committee for the first time 
that has ever happened since 1925. So uh, it's kind of remarkable that the uh, Senate, the full Senate would even uh, consider consider that. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. And also, if I may add, you know, Heidi Heitkamp, she said that uh, it was important to her that, you know, she was going to vote for Pompeo because she felt that he would advance U.S. leadership around the world. Well, let's just point out that if Pompeo does get confirmed as secretary of state, he would be the full the first full on climate science denier. Secretary of State that we have ever had. Even Rex Tillerson in his confirmation admitted and acknowledged that humans are contributing to climate change and we have to figure out how to respond to that. And Rex Tillerson was the CEO of ExxonMobil, for Christ's sake. Exactly. And so Pompeo is a climate science denier. Of course, he is also so-called moderating his views so as not to be quite as uh, quite as uh, a much of an outlier on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you can't advance global leadership as the United States when you're going to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement and your climate science denier who's not going to lead the world in the biggest challenge that we have facing us as a human species. Yeah, well, there's that. But in any in any event, uh, Heidi Heidkamp, a Democrat, is now going to support uh, Pompeo, climate change denier Pompeo. I, I, I will I, I highlight this because we're going to talk about some, we've got some election news uh, coming up next. Uh, but just to underscore how important elections are, how important the Senate is, and we talked with... Um, we talked with Bob Kincaid from West Virginia yesterday about Joe Manchin, the other Democrat who tends to flip uh, to the Republican side in these votes. And and I sort of, you know, pressed him, well, what would you say? What would you say that uh, voters should do when they come to November? The Democratic voters should do when they, you know, faced with the idea of, of, of voting for someone like Joe Manchin and a an extremist right winger who was going to certainly be running against Manchin, what would you do? He said, well, in his case, his plan was to look at the polls. And if there was even a question that Manchin might lose, I think he said his threshold was something like five points, then he was definitely going to vote for Joe Manchin, even though he virulently opposes Manchin in so many cases. Right, because the Republicans are so bad on that. And as bad as Heidi Heitkamp is... I got to say, if you live in North Dakota and you don't know what to do and you're concerned about Donald Trump, even as bad as Heidi Heidkamp is, hanging on to her seat means that Democrats have potentially can gain back control of the Senate and we can stop some of these climate change deniers and these extreme right wingers who are uh, who, who they're packing the federal courts with with lifetime appointments. Yes, all of this stuff really matters, and it matters for years and years, decades beyond when Donald Trump will be in office. So, yeah, I don't like Heidkamp either. But you know what, uh, folks in North Dakota, you want to save the world? Keep that in mind when we get to November, even if you have to hold your nose to vote for somebody like Heidi Heidkamp. All right, quick break, and we are back with with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman.
five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That music can only mean one thing, (laughs) that we are heading to Kansas uh, to uh, talk about. All right. Well, I've got a correction. This is a correction from uh, from yesterday, yesterday in my rush to make sense of a, a court ruling that had come in just before airtime regarding a federal judge's finding that Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach was being held in contempt of court, I inaccurately reported that the judge had also found against him in the overall case filed by the ACLU in response to thousands of uh, Kansas voters who have been prevented from voting due to a law that Kobach helped craft Uh, requiring new voter registrants to submit proof of citizenship documents when registering. In fact, while Kobach, who is perhaps the nation's leading GOP voter fraud fraudster at this time, uh, he was, in fact, found in contempt of court for the second time in this long case uh, by U.S. District uh, District Court Judge Julie Robinson. She, by the way, is a former... Uh, or a current. She's a, a George W. Bush appointee, by the way. So she's not one of those activist liberals, you know, who hates <laughs> guys like Chris Kobach. Um, she has not yet found against Chris Kobach in the overall case. I say not yet because it would be astounding given his performance uh, in the in the trial recently, his embarrassing performance in the trial for this case. Um, it would be astounding, frankly, if she found in favor of him. But uh, the the ruling yesterday had to do only uh, with contempt concerning what Chris Kobach had done some years ago and apparently continued to lie about. So apologies uh, for the error in saying that uh, Chris Kobach, that that law had been struck down. I read it too quickly because it broke just before we went to air. But here is what actually happened. Uh, Now that there are more details available, in 2016, Judge Robinson had ordered Kobach, Secretary of State of Kansas, to fully register thousands of Kansas voters who had registered at the DMV but who had failed to provide proof of citizenship, like a birth certificate or a passport, as required by this Kansas law that Kobach crafted. That was part of a, a of a temporary injunction on the law that was put in place in 2016 as the larger case itself moved forward. Robinson had, prior to that, scolded Kobach for initially informing those voters covered by the uh, covered by the order with her initial injunction. Those people who had registered to vote thought they were going to be registered, but then were told that they couldn't vote because they didn't put in the citizen proof of citizenship papers. 
um, she had scolded him previously for uh, telling those voters, okay, you're registered to vote, but only for the 2016 election and for failing to ensure that those voters receive the very same postcard notification about their registrations that all other voters did. In other words, they were sent, if they were sent a postcard, uh, it was a, a special postcard saying, OK, for now you are sort of registered for a while. Robinson, Judge Robinson, had told Kobach during a 2016 telephone conference that she would hold him responsible for directing all of the counties in Kansas to send out these postcards. He promised to do that. And in doing so, he narrowly dodged a contempt hearing back in 2016, according to the Kansas City Star, because of this subsequent agreement on the phone. As Robinson said in her order on Wednesday, finally uh, dinging him for contempt of federal court, uh, she said, quote, he admitted several times during the hearing that he understood the court's order to mean that he was to treat those covered by the preliminary injunction the same, the very same as all other registered voters, which included sending the standard postcard upon registration. But apparently Kobach failed to do that, despite agreeing with the federal judge that he would. The ACLU filed a motion, therefore, back in January of this year, asking the judge to hold Kobach in contempt and to impose sanctions for failing to send the postcards and failing to up, uh, update the state's election manual properly. Robinson later added uh, in Wednesday's ruling that the, quote, defendant is now in the now in the process of sending the standard postcards to all registered voters. This is two years after he had agreed to do so. In her ruling, uh, the judge repeatedly referred to Kobach as having acted, quote, disingenuously. She chastised him for failing to treat the voters affected by this ongoing court case the same as all other registered voters in accordance with that previous court order. She said in her order, the term, quote, the term register is not ambiguous. <laughs> Nor should there have been any question that these voters were to be treated just like any other registered voter, she said. Instead of a fine in the uh, contempt matter, Robinson instead ordered Kobach to pay the attorney's fees for the plaintiffs in this case, the ACLU in this case, which uh, probably means uh, he has to pay more than he would have otherwise had to pay had she fined him in this matter. She said the court is troubled by defendants failure to take responsibility for violating this court's orders and for failing to ensure compliance over an issue that he explicitly represented to the court had been accomplished. Kobach spokesman Mariah Day said that the secretary of state's office would appeal huh. Robinson's decision here. So this is going to cost the state of Kansas, by the way, even more money, despite already Kansas being cash strapped because their governor, Sam Brownback, their now former governor, he recently left to become a U.S. ambassador. He had largely bankrupted the state through massive tax cuts, resulting in slashed funds to schools. The state Supreme Court had to come in and, and order the state to restore the funding to the schools. 
after Brownback's failed, miserably failed experiment in Reaganomics uh, had just wiped out the school budget, the infrastructure budget for roads. Uh, and now Kobach is running for governor of Kansas himself in the state. He is considered, for some reason, a GOP frontrunner here, despite his constant court battles, uh, the Casey Star notes, involving voter fraud and strict voting uh, requirements that he has pushed while in office as the state's top election official. In November of 2016, Kobach, you'll recall, also joined Trump's uh, phony uh, campaign to argue that millions had voted illegally in 2016, but neither of them have been able to point to any evidence to support that claim. And yes, Kobach was previously fined $1,000 by the court last year after the same judge had concluded that he had tried to mislead the court about documents related to a 2016 meeting with Donald Trump whose phony voter fraud commission Kobach had headed up until it was disbanded earlier this year after losing one lawsuit after another. This guy is really considered a front runner in the state of Kansas to become the governor? Really, Kansas? You guys are going to let something like that happen? Robinson, again, a George W. Bush appointee to the court. She noted in uh, in Wednesday's order that Kobach had narrowly escaped being held in contempt already two years ago back in 2016 after he had uh, initially flouted her orders. Uh, she uh, she wrote defendant has a history of noncompliance. With the preliminary injunction order that she had issued, he has not only willfully failed to comply with the preliminary injunction for five months, but then he only partially complied back in October 2016. Just incredible. Uh, it, it, it's a big deal for people to, who don't understand being found in contempt of court by a, an attorney you know, is kind of a career-ending thing, much less should be. much less being found in contempt twice by a federal court, by the same federal judge, and then running to become uh, to be rewarded uh, to become governor. I know, and it was a totally bonkers trial. I highly recommend if you have time yeah. looking up some of the stories that were the day-to-day play-by-play of this insane trial. In this which- insane trial, which, by the way. Has not yet been fully decided. Has not yet been that fully decided. Error. That yeah. is true. Um, however, I <laughs> yeah. uh, just want to point out. I think you mentioned this that that Kobach represented himself yeah. in this uh, in this particular case, and yes. he did such an incompetent job at it. He probably should sue himself for <laughs> incompetent representation for misrepresenting the state of Kansas. Oh my goodness! Yeah, the the judge again, Julie Robinson, had to throughout that entire trial every single day. There was news breaking. This was just a week or two ago about how he he was repeatedly uh, violating the rules for evidence. Basic law 101. Go back to school. I'm not even an attorney. I know that (laughs) stuff. Kansas Democratic Party Executive Director Ethan Corson said in response to uh, the uh, to the ruling on Wednesday that uh, Chris Kobach has become an embarrassment to the state. Kansans uh, Kansas voters deserve better. Chris Kobach's costly voter suppression crusade, he said, is finally catching up with him. Kobach's steady stream of self-promotional partisan maneuvers and costly taxpayer-funded lawsuits illustrate his overwhelming unfitness to be the next governor of Kansas. Hard to argue with that. However, 
State Rep. Keith Esau, a Republican who is running for Secretary of State to replace the uh, termed-out Chris Kobach, Esau defended him. Mm. He said, I believe that Kobach did what he could within the office. I think the judge expected him to do things that were beyond what the office normally does. What the (laughs) office normally does as Secretary of State is make sure the rule of law is followed, that people are allowed to register to vote, that people are then able to vote, that votes are counted accurately. It seems kind of insane to say that it's out of line for the court to expect him to follow through on things that he said he would agree to do. (laughs) So that guy, State Rep. Keith Esau, he may be the next uh, Secretary of State in Kansas unless Kansas voters finally say enough. Uh, Anyway, this is how just one aspect of how Republicans are trying to uh, doing anything they can, even if it means they end up getting fined by a George W. Bush law uh, judge for failing to follow the law. This is what they are willing to do. The ends they're willing to go to to keep people from voting. That law um, had at one point been keeping some 35,000 legally registered voters, otherwise legally registered voters, from being able to vote in the state of Kansas because they couldn't come up with uh, evidence or they didn't have the time or they didn't have the money to go out and get these documents to prove they were born in the U.S., which it sort of seems like it should fall. Well, well remember proof of, uh, you know, innocence uh, before uh, guilt. Yes. Uh, you know, it seems like if Chris Kobach thinks there's this huge spate of non-citizen voters, he ought to the, the burden ought to be on him to prove that they are non-citizens rather than on the citizens losing their rights because they haven't gone out of their way to prove to uh, Chris Kobach that they were actually born here. Some 35,000. So uh, we will look for that ruling, which I expect to be coming any day, and I expect Chris Kobach to be losing miserably, and then I expect him to uh, appeal the court, uh, appeal the case on up the line and continue to cost money to the good folks of Kansas. So that's in Kansas That's what they're doing there to try to keep people from voting. Meanwhile, in Arizona, the Republican-controlled legislature moved this week to try to ensure that ailing Senator, Republican Senator John McCain's seat won't be on the November ballot if John McCain ends up leaving office. The effort emerged on Tuesday as the state Senate had quietly added an emergency clause on a bill that was set to change how members of Congress who die or resign are replaced. Uh, Republicans snuck in this measure that had to do... So it was originally supposed to be about the U.S. House. They snuck in this measure concerning the U.S. Senate. In in Arizona, U.S. Senate vacancies are filled by a governor's appointee, briefly, with uh, with the seat then going up for election at the next general election. The Secretary of State has interpreted that to mean that if McCain's seat is vacated by May uh, May 31 of this year under the existing law, an election to replace him uh, would be on, uh, well, first the August primary this year and then the November general election ballot. The new proposal that the Republicans slipped in there, however, would change that to 150 days before the primary. 
if a seat is vacated. That means that uh, if the seat was, it would have to be vacated this year by March 31 of this year if this law passed. That would take uh, John McCain's seat out of play for this year, conveniently. McCain, of course, was diagnosed with brain cancer last summer. He's been recovering in Arizona since before Christmas. He, he was hospitalized over this past weekend uh, for intestinal surgery to, uh, for uh, an infection. He remains right now in a Phoenix hospital. He's said to be in stable condition. But this emergency clause they tried to sneak in here requires uh, a two-thirds vote by the state legislature. Democratic State Senator Steve Farley said they're trying to make it really easy to appoint someone to two and a half years without an election to a U.S. Senate seat if the current holder of the seat resigns or is no longer able to hold office. Republicans already are defending one Arizona seat. That would be a U.S. Senate seat. That would be Jeff Flake, who has decided to not seek reelection. Having a second seat to defend would double the chances that Democrats, of course, would be able to pick up one of those Arizona seats for the first time since uh, Dennis DeConcini left office back in 1995. It is unclear who was pushing for that change, uh, although the uh, Democrat uh, Farley speculated that it was Republican Governor Doug Ducey, whose uh, spokesman did not immediately return a call this week to the uh, to the AP seeking comment. The legislation was originally intended to lengthen the time required for a special election for a vacant U.S. House seat. And uh, that after the uh, it was there was a scramble to replace Trent Franks, the longtime congressman who stepped down Last December, amid sexual misconduct allegations, uh, there was a quick scramble to replace him under the current House law. Well, that special election to replace Trent Franks in the state's 8th Congressional District, that's next Tuesday, April 24. Yep, we're going to have another special election. Uh, It's between uh, former Republican state senator Debbie Lesko and Democratic physician Hiral, I think is how you pronounce her name, uh, Tipernini. Uh, This is a district that Donald Trump has won, uh, well, that he won by some 20 points in 2016. Uh, Republicans had have held that one for years. But you know what? The U.S. House special election uh, won by Democrat Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania just a few weeks ago. That was in a similarly Trumpy, uh, Trumpy district. So who knows what might happen if people actually get out and vote in Arizona next week? The uh, here's some good news, though, on that. The measure to uh, change the rules for replacing senators that they tried to sneak in there. Um, that passed the uh, well, the bad news is it passed the GOP led House on Tuesday. It still required a formal Senate vote. But the good news late Wednesday, Arizona Republicans appeared to back off of their efforts uh, to rig the rules to keep John McCain's seat in their column. According to TPM, they pulled the state Senate, uh, the provision from the state Senate floor. Uh, that would have guaranteed a lengthy appointment from the GOP governor should uh, an ailing senator have to leave office in the coming weeks. Uh, Arizona State Senator Steve Farley, the Democrat, said it's fairly clear the emergency clause is now done. He said, I'm not sure they thought this through terribly well (laughs) because, of course, they would have had to get two-thirds votes and there were going to be no Democratic votes whatsoever for this. 
uh, as spokesman for the uh, Arizona State uh, Republicans uh, who was involved in this effort claimed that the bill was pulled to make room for school safety and budget meetings that needed to take place. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it's true. Republicans can eventually maybe get embarrassed about something. (laughs) <laughs> uh, or as uh, I think as is more likely, they realized they were just never going to they were going to get zero Democratic votes. here. Yeah. And it also proves, by the way, hey, no matter what state you're in, it just goes to show how important your actual state legislatures are and who is in your state legislature, because those people have a lot of sway over who gets elected, who gets appointed, um, all your voting, all of your uh, your district drawing, all of that stuff. It's really important to pay attention to your state legislature. And one more point on uh, since we're talking about the U.S. Senate and how important the U.S. Senate and these votes that you know resulted in a climate change denier now heading up NASA incredibly um, Senator Ted Cruz down in Texas may be in trouble real trouble this time uh, as far as uh, the electorate goes he uh, now appears to be clinging to a very narrow lead in in his race for re-election in the Lone Star State, this according to a new poll from the much-respected uh, Quinnipiac University. Apparently, Cruz now leads Congressman Beto O'Rourke, the Democratic uh, challenger to that seat, by just three points. Cruz is beating O'Rourke 47 to 44, according to this According to this new poll just out, that is within the poll's margin of error. Uh, essentially, this race is now tied. In the state of Texas. I'm glad to hear that. And we are still months out. Texas, of course, Desi's home state, (laughs) great state of Texas, has been heavily Republican now for several decades. Trump carried it by nine points in 2016. Uh, And so it will still be an uphill battle for O'Rourke. And if you look back at the March primary, Ted Cruz won uh, on the Republican side, double the number of votes that O'Rourke did on the uh, on the Democratic side. So he still has a long way to go in getting his name out around the state uh, and in winning in what had been thought to be deeply red uh, Texas, which has become much purpler over the years. And oh, yeah. uh, many folks are hoping and waiting for that to turn blue uh, thanks to the demographics changes in the state. But uh, this does not look good for Ted Cruz if there's any accuracy to this uh, polling whatsoever. And uh, by the way, just this is kind of this jumped out at me from this same poll. Forty three percent of Texans, I should say just 43 percent of Texans approve of the job that Donald Trump is doing. Fifty two percent disapprove. Uh, according to this poll, these are very weak numbers, uh, and frankly, uh, they are actually slightly better than some of the other pollsters have found in Texas when it comes to Donald Trump's approval ratings in the state of Texas. Um, so it's it's not just a, a, a coincidence on this uh, Senate race. They don't seem to like Donald Trump in Texas. 
I guess all those shots at their beloved George W. Bush, uh, the Bush family, hasn't helped. <laughs> Probably not. But remember, it is, uh, what, still seven, eight months away yeah. to the election, so a lot can happen in between now and then. A lot can happen. Uh, one more other point from this same poll, just to get an idea of how much they don't like uh, Trump in <laughs> Texas. A majority of voters in Texas is opposed to the construction in, in the border state of Texas is opposed to the construction of a U.S.-Mexico border wall, uh, border wall, according to the uh, new poll from Quinnipiac. 53% of Texas voters oppose the wall. F- just 43% support its construction. The uh, plans for this 2,000-mile wall uh, stalled again last month when Congress allocated just $1.6 billion for border security measures. In their omnibus spending package, Trump had asked for $25 billion. He got nowhere close to that. And apparently the people of Texas are happy about it. Quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report on a busy broadcast today. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yeah, I'd like to. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Once again, uh, repeating our, uh, well, one of our top stories today, the the, uh, Senate uh, has voted to confirm Jim Bridenstine of of, uh, Republican of Oklahoma, Oklahoma congressman, that's right, who has no experience as a scientist, no experience as an administrator for a huge government organization. Republicans in the U.S. Senate have now uh, approved, confirmed Bridenstine to be the head of NASA. Now, I remember, Des, before we get to our Green News report, there was a time who do you remember who it was who said, why is why does NASA even have anything to do with climate change and uh, global temperatures? Do you remember that? Who this who this it was a Republican. It was a climate denier. I, I, I don't recall. You don't recall who, who said it is because so many of them have said that. Yeah. And and when I heard that, I was like, well, that's good because he was saying, oh, what does that have to do with uh, Earth? They have to do with space. Why are they dealing with temperatures <laughs> well, here on Earth? There's a reason for that. It's because NASA's mission, its actual mission statement is to study the home planet. And hey, if you're going to go out into space, maybe you should study the planet that you have right in front of you in order to understand how planets work. Oh, yeah, that's right. Earth is a planet as well, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. I completely forgot. Uh, well, Hopefully people won't forget uh, over the weekend because it's Earth Day coming up, as we also uh, discuss in our latest Green News report. 1.5 million clients from the Puerto Rico Power Authority in the dark. Puerto Rico's fragile electric grid hit by another island-wide blackout. We have to expect, unfortunately, a further slowdown of this important ocean circulation system. New studies warn the Gulf Stream current is slowing down. Earth Day 2018 is focused on ending plastic pollution, plus... The companies that knowingly caused this crisis 
should help pay their fair share. Oil industry slapped with two new climate liability lawsuits. All of those slaps and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Trump canceled his trip to monitor events in Syria. Sarah Huckasanders explained that Trump's national security team thought it was best to stay in the United States, adding Mar-a-Lago happens to be within the United States. But thanks to global warming, it'll soon be in international waters. This is your Green News Report. Global warming fans, all right. If you can't fight it, get used to it. Now... Okay, Desi Doyen, uh, just more bad news for Puerto Rico. Yes, indeed. Seven months after Hurricane Maria, the entire island of Puerto Rico lost power again on Wednesday. According to the San Juan El Nuevo Dia newspaper, the outage was caused by a private Oklahoma contractor, Cobra Energy, accidentally hitting a major transmission line, creating a domino effect that tripped two power plants offline. So we are seven months now since Hurricane Maria. Yep. And uh, even before all the power went down on Wednesday, some 44,000 were still without power after all of those months. Yes, and that same contractor is linked to a different power outage that occurred just last week. It is another reminder that while nearly all of the island's generation capacity is back online, its grid remains fragile and unstable. It's the worst blackout in American history, and this week it officially became the second longest blackout in world history. And the 2018 hurricane season starts in six weeks. But don't forget, Donald Trump gave himself an A-plus for his response to that hurricane. As far as Puerto Rico is concerned, we have had tremendous reviews. We're doing a great job. Everybody has said it's amazing the job that we've done in Puerto Rico. We are going to do far more than anybody else would ever be able to do. Meanwhile, two new studies indicate that the Gulf Stream current in the Atlantic Ocean, which helps regulate the global climate, is slowing down and that global warming is probably to blame. A full shutdown of the Gulf Stream was depicted in the 2004 disaster movie The Day After Tomorrow, but the scientists stress that that extreme movie scenario will never happen. But lead study author Stefan Romsdorf of the Potsdam Climate Institute warns that it could still have potentially severe long-term consequences for people living on both sides of the Atlantic. For example, this slowdown leads to excessive sea level rise on the east coast of the United States. It changes the tracks of the storms moving into Europe, and it has even been linked to extreme heat waves in Europe. Meanwhile, two new climate liability lawsuits this week. Eight Florida teens sued Republican Governor Rick Scott to force the state to act on climate change. Backed by nonprofit environmental law group Our Children's Trust, the suit cites the threat of rising seas and other climate impacts to Florida's coast and economy and contends that the state's failure to act violates the children's constitutional rights to a safe and livable climate. A lot of these suits now being filed all across the country and even across the world. It'll be very interesting to see how these play out here in the U.S.
And that's not all. In Colorado, three cities and two counties, led by the city of Boulder, filed suit against two of the world's largest oil companies, ExxonMobil and Suncor, over their role in causing climate change. The suit alleges that the oil companies, quote, knowingly produced harmful products and failed to disclose that to the public. It's the first climate liability lawsuit to be filed by communities that are not located on the coast. In a press conference, Boulder Mayor Suzanne Jones said they're seeking damages for record wildfires, record floods, and the cost of adapting to future impacts. We think that the companies that knowingly caused this crisis should help pay their fair share, especially because they profited enormously from the crisis that they have created. And these cases as well will be interesting to watch. I know that the uh, oil companies are watching them very closely. They're very worried about it. And as far as I can tell, they should be. Finally, Sunday marks the 48th annual Earth Day, with events scheduled all over the world to mobilize political action and engagement to protect the one and only planet able to support life in the known universe. This year's theme is ending plastic pollution, including the launch of a global effort to eliminate single-use plastics. Of course, for us here at the Green News Report, every day is Earth Day. It is indeed. One day a year. That's for sissies. (laughs) For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us earthwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Get out there and enjoy your Earth Day. We're still trying. Yes, uh, we are. The lights are beginning to come back on in Puerto Rico now. Yes, Desi yeah, that's the good news is that, you know, most of the uh, power has been restored to most of the customers. However, the uh, the contractor, the Oklahoma private contractor that had the contract to repair much of Puerto Rico's electric grid. Who the, ended up breaking it entirely and exactly. knocking it out for two days. Not just yeah. that one, but the one previously uh, last week, those two blackouts responsible for those, that contractor has now been fired cobra apparently. cobra and their uh, their subcontractors that they had brought in so they say that uh, that they've gotten rid of them that's it well you know maybe when donald trump said uh we're, we're doing a, a job there that nobody else could have done <laughs> maybe he was more maybe accurate that's... than, than yeah. we thought all right thank you very much uh desi doyan our producer thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us it is always appreciated if you missed any portion of today's program or any other broadcast you can download at any time for free at bradblog.com drop me email if you like i am bradcast at bradblog.com on the facebooks and the twitters i am simply the brad blog and as ever my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. We could not do it without you. We cannot do it without you. Thanks in particular to those of you who have uh, uh, signed up for a a subscription to become a supporter, a monthly uh, supporter of the broadcast for any amount you like. It is greatly appreciated and very much needed. All right, that's it. Uh, Until we meet again, get out there. Oh, enjoy Earth Day. Don't forget to bring some bottled plastic water. (laughs) And until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.